Welcome to the Treasure Coast Community Church Podcast. TC3 Church is located in Stewart, Florida, and we're thankful that your listening journey has brought you to us. Our prayer is that everyone who tunes in connects the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in a real way. You will also discover, if you dig a little deeper, that TC3 is full of imperfect people who are simply striving daily to be more like Christ than they were the day before. The journey for us is about progress, not perfection. We pray that as you listen, you will be filled with hope, endurance, and joy as you experience life change. Enjoy today's message. Good to be with you, TC3. God is good. Okay, some of you didn't grow up in church. I say God is good, you say all the time. That's how it works. Do you not, did we forget that? God is good. All the time? There you go. We're going to be talking about the goodness of God today. We're going to be talking about how good God is and how good he is to us when we wander. And so if you're someone who feels a little bit disconnected in your relationship with God, maybe a little bit discouraged, maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe you're somewhere where you never thought you would ever be in life and you need some encouragement. We're gonna be talking about the goodness of God in the next few weeks and I just think we don't talk about it enough. Um, We let a lot of negativity come into our world. We watch negative news cycles and we fixate on negative things and uh, it puts us in negative spaces. And so we're gonna be talking about the goodness of God and it says in Psalm chapter 107, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and then it goes further and it says for his faithful love endures forever, like it endures forever. And this phrase, uh, give thanks to the Lord, is something the psalmist wants us to understand because he repeats it over and over again. So you get it in 106, you get it in 107, you get it in 118, and so on throughout the book of Psalm. And the theme of God's goodness is woven throughout the text of Scripture. So we want to establish clearly that God is good. So, what does that phrase mean, that God is good? It means that God is the standard of goodness. God defines what goodness looks like. Jesus said this, he's like, God alone is good. He said in the New Testament, Luke chapter uh, 18, and God can't do anything that conflicts with his character, so everything that he does is good. Goodness is in his DNA, Just like righteousness and holiness is in his DNA. He can't do anything that is unrighteous or unholy. And so so this point of God being good is expressed throughout the text of Scripture. He's got no evil in him. It says in the text that there is no darkness in God at all. God is light and there's no darkness at all. It's in 1 John chapter 5, or 1, verse number 5. His intentions and his motivations, they're always good and they're always pure. And his actions are are always good as well. His plans are never wrong. And you know, some of us are going, but hey man, look around. Well, I said that God is good. I didn't say that everything that happens in life is always good. God is good means that he acts justly. God is good means that he does what is right and he is the standard of what goodness looks like. People will often talk to me about the problem of 
evil. If there is a good God, then why is there so much evil in the world? And then I, I kind of think back. I'm like, well, if you're talking about good and evil, shouldn't those, uh, th- those things shouldn't exist um, from an atheistic persta- uh, standpoint. Uh, isn't evil just nature at work? Isn't evil just the survival of the fittest? Good and evil imply that there should be and there should, should not be. And that's not something that is able to be produced in nature. It's not like, the, again, the lion doesn't you know, take down the wildebeest and go, oh my me, I did it again. Like he's, he's not struggling with good and evil. He's just doing what he does. Something to think about if God doesn't exist, and this is where I typically go, why is there so much good in the world? Why is there so much good in the world? And the commonness of goodness in the world is proof of God's existence. There's so much good in the world that we have to consider (laughs) where it came from. Good is typically the norm in our world. That's why we know what evil looks like because there is so much good in the world. Why is there so much good in the world? Evil, pain, suffering, they get our attention because there's so much good in the world around us. Why is good so common in the world? Why do the haves give to the have-nots? Think about that. Why do people that have resources give to people who do not have resources? Why do people that do not have resources, like if you go into Honduras, you'll see a culture that shares. Why do the have-nots share with the have-nots? That's good in action. Why is there a list of people that are in the medical profession that are signed up for a mission trip to Honduras when they're gonna receive absolutely no monetary reward for going. They're gonna work on people that they'll never ever see in their life again. Why is, why is that kind of goodness happening in the world? Why is it pretty much normal that babies are born healthy when we get sick, right? It's not normal because typically we're not sick. When, arm gets, when arms get broken, it's like, oh, because arms typically aren't broken. Our shock when evil occurs confirms the goodness that's in the world around us, the dominance of goodness in the world around us. Terrible headlines are terrible headlines because they're not the norm. They're outside of the norm. We have less than a 2% chance, you and I, we have less than a 2% chance of dying of some type of a violent crime or war or conflict. When a natural disaster hits, 99.5% of the world's population is unaffected at all. The dominance of goodness. Most of us aren't going to die in a fatal car crash or get murdered. These things are rare. And yes, the world is in a fallen state. If you're looking for a mess, you can easily find it in the world today. But it still contains more beauty than ugliness. And I would say that if you're anti-God, the existence of good in the world demands an explanation. And since good does exist, where does it come from? Because it can't come from nothing. Why do people have such a strong sense of right or wrong? 
Why do powerful people sacrifice for weaker people? And if you go into the text of Scripture, you can go into the book of Genesis and the creation of man. You can see God saying, hey, let us create man in our own image. So why is there such a strong sense of right and wrong? Why do, why do people that are even disconnected from God do good things in, in life from time to time? Because inside of you and me, there is the image of God. And every once in a while, it raises its head and it shows itself in such a beautiful fashion through acts of goodness. Why do people have a sense of right or wrong? It talks about this in Romans chapter two, that, that God writes uh, the law on the hearts of men and women. Like, that's been put inside of us. That's why we know right from wrong. Could it be that we're created in God's image and we were designed to follow God's law? Atheists talk about gratuitous evil. What about gratuitous good? Why do people do impractical, over-the-top good things for other people when they have no reasonable explanation to do those good things or no reward that comes from it? If there wasn't a God, what would the world look like? without the church and God's people? How many universities wouldn't have been founded? How many Christian schools wouldn't exist? How many feeding programs around the world would not be happening? How many missions of mercy? How many hospitals would not exist? All indicators of God's goodness. Where does all this goodness in the world come from? Without God, the world would would be without this sense of morality. There wouldn't be a standard of good and evil. Evolution explains greed and selfishness and insensitivity and brutality and survival of the fittest. Evolution explains that. A system governed by brute strength and genetic superiority. Evolution, it clearly explains social and racial inequality. Sexism, oppression, and domination. Evolution explains that. But evolution can't explain random acts of kindness. It can't explain people serving other people of lower stature. And it doesn't explain why strangers would risk their lives to save other people. Evolution can't explain art. It can't explain love. It can't explain music. It can't explain humility. It can't explain compassion. It can't explain acts of kindness. It can't, it can't explain forgiveness. And it can't explain mercy, especially though to those who are weak and dying. What should shock every atheist is that people who are in powers of position do not crush people in weaker positions because that's entirely natural. There is dominance. There is the dominance of good that's in the world, and you have to ask the question, why is there so much good in the world? Despite its fallen state, despite its fallen state, despite humanity's fallen estate, the goodness and the beauty in the, in the world around us, it screams that there is a God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good his faithful love, it endures forever, is what the psalmist says. His love and his mercy endures forever. 
What does that mean? His love and his mercy endures forever. Endures means that it had no beginning and it has no end. No matter how far you have wandered, no matter how many times we cross the line and push against God's goodness and mercy, no matter how many times we rebel, you look at the the children of Israel, especially in the Old Testament, man, they test God over and over and over again. But he's kind and he's compassionate. He never gives up on them. He never lets them go. And they're, they're an example as to how God works with his kids. And if he loved them that much, stuck with them that much, forgave them that much, he'll do the same for you and I. God never stops being good. You can't outrun or outwander or outsin the goodness of God. The background for Psalm 107 is that they're rebuilding the temple. The first temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in, destroyed everything. And now this generation in Psalm 107 is able to start rebuilding the temple. They're laying the foundation for the temple. They'd been in captivity for 70 years, and yet they are rescued by God's provision and prophecy by King Cyrus of Persia. Now, here's how good God is to Israel. And this is an indicator that we can look at and see God's hand at work in their life and know that he's at work in the same way in our life. Before Israel goes into captivity, God told Jeremiah that it was only gonna last for 70 years. And he says in the book of Jeremiah, he said, listen, the lights in your house are gonna go dark. The land is gonna be desolate because you're gonna be taken captive. You're gonna serve the king of Babylon for 70 years, it says in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 through 12. Then it says, there's a shift, then after the 70 years of captivity are over, I'm gonna punish the king of Babylon, meaning Persia's gonna come in and they're gonna set you free and you're gonna be able to go back to the land of promise. God prepared Israel 70 year, for, for a 70 year stretch of getting their act together. Israel's rebellion, Israel's idolatry, Israel's wandering from God led them to a place to where they would be judged by God. And that happens in our world as well. But every time there is that, there is this redemptive thread. You're gonna go this way, and because you go this way, this is what's gonna happen. But because all of this is happening, I'm gonna make a way. That's what God does. In the book of Genesis, at the fall of man, there's a prophecy about God making a way. A prophecy about Jesus coming right at the fall of man. Before you and I were born, before Jesus would step foot on planet earth, God was already, already had the plan in motion. And he does that with the children of Israel. And we get to see it through the text when we look at it and know how good God is. God would prepare a way home from Israel before they even were defeated by Babylon. And here's how good God is. 220 years before King Cyrus of Persia would defeat Babylon, God told Isaiah it was gonna happen. It says in the text of scripture, it says, when I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will come and rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. So get this picture. 220 years before Cyrus even comes into town, God's talking about it. God had him on his mind. 
And he's letting the children of Israel know that this is what's gonna take place so that you will know how good I am, that what you're going through right now is temporary, and that I'm gonna bring it to conclusion. And then listen to this. Like, how cool is it that God would reveal this to Cyrus, that he would know that before he was even born, 200 years before he's even born, God's talking about him, about what his ultimate destiny would be. This is all God's goodness. God is good, and his faithful love endures forever. Then Psalms 107, it gets personal. Has the Lord redeemed you? Speak out. So I ask the question, has the Lord redeemed you? Thank you, six of you. A lot of work to do, a lot of heavy lifting in this room. Has the Lord redeemed you? Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. A lot of us are silent because we don't know the text from beginning to end. Listen, when you dive into the text to get to know the text, you're gonna find out that you're gonna spend your whole life learning to know the text. Because the deeper you go into the text, the more you know that you don't know the text. So if you wait to know the text, you're never gonna be able to speak about the redemption the Lord's brought into your life. Paul, book of Acts, three times. All he does is just tell his story. He doesn't break down theology, he just tells his story. One translation says it this way, the translation I grew up in, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God's calling us to be verbal with our faith, not just personal with our faith. Then it says, for he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. We need to be talking about God's goodness. We need to be thinking about how joyful Israel would have been. They've been 70 years into captivity. A generation has probably died off during this time period. There's probably a few older people that remember what it was like before. But they're getting to go home. They're getting to turn the lights on in their houses. They're getting to come back and rebuild the holy place, the temple. And they're singing this song of celebration, talking about the goodness of God. We need to be talking about the goodness of God because when we talk about the goodness of God, one, it strengthens our faith. Two, it solidifies our identity as a believer. If you're off, going off to college, you need to be talking about the goodness of God right out of the gate. So that it establishes who you are and whose you are. If you're going into high school, you need to be talking about the goodness of God as soon as you go into school. If you have your own business, you need to be talking about the goodness of God who gave you all of this. If you're employed, you need to be talking about the goodness of God. Most of us that sit in this room, we had lives that we dreamed about, and the fact of the matter is is that God has taken our lives far past we ever thought, wherever he thought, wherever we thought we were gonna be. We need to be talking about the goodness of God along the path. Then there's this shift that takes place. He gives this personal example that really relates to all of us. And there's four examples in this passage of scripture in, in Psalm 107. And he talks about the wanderer. It says, some wandered in the wilderness like many of us have. Any of you uh, ever get lost? Okay, any of you refuse to ask directions when you get lost? Okay, I, I'm like, I'm both of those. I get lost, I refuse to ask directions, 
and I consider it the scenic route. <laughs> That's what we do. Only in life, when, when we kind of take the path of sin, the scenic route is painful. Like it causes us pain. We waste time. It causes the people around us pain. He says, some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. It talks about their desperate state. And when you're apart from God, it's easy to feel like you don't have a home, that you can be in a crowd and be lonely, be hungering for something more, thirsty for something more, and despair even of life itself. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. Israel would wander in the desert for 40 years because of rebellion and unbelief. And in that process, God never once lets, his, lets them out of his sight, never once abandons them, never once lets them go, never once stops providing for them along the way, even in their rebellion. That's the God who we get to serve. That's the God who, if you're not even serving him, is taking care of you right now. And as God was with them, he'll be with us as well, because God is a good guide. And as long as you and I have breath in our lungs, God is going to be trying to guide us into relationship with him. You might feel like you're in this cycle where you just keep coming back to the same thing over and over again, wandering around. God is good. Keep crying out to the Lord. You might feel like you're stuck in the same sin cycle, keep crying out to the Lord. You might feel like you keep repeating the same mistakes. Keep crying out to the Lord. And you might feel alone, lost, thirsty, starving. Keep crying out to the Lord. Here's the other thing I think about. You may have attained more than you ever thought you would attain in life, but you still find yourself hungry and thirsty, and desperate, keep crying out to the Lord because he's the only thing that will truly satisfy. Maybe, just maybe, your focus might be a little bit off. It didn't, you maybe didn't intend to be where you are. You were just two degrees off, and then now you're 20 miles down the road, and you're way off. Keep crying out to the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, your focus is a little bit off, and you should turn to God in Isaiah 53, there is this prophecy. And the prophecy is about Jesus. And Isaiah is talking about our need for a savior. And he says these words, all of us like sheep have strayed. We have left God's path to follow our own, which is true. Romans talks about this. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. Again, Isaiah is confirming that God was on the move, the goodness of God is on the move, and it's gonna present itself in the flesh when Jesus steps foot on planet Earth. We're all prone to wander from God, every single one of us. We're all prone to think that we know what's best because we're so smart, and we're also all capable of making massive mistakes when we wander. All of us. The goodness of God was in motion before you and I were even born. The goodness of God rescues us when we are lost, and the goodness of God rescues us when we're desperate. And even when we wander, God is still good. You can't outwander the goodness of God. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus, I like how the, how the gospels state this. In John chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors. And then it says, notorious sinners. I'm not going to ask how many of you fit that last description. He's hanging out with notorious sinners. And then it says in the text that the religious people are upset because Jesus is associating with sinners. And then Jesus, as only he can do, he starts telling them the story. And he's like, listen, there was this man. He has 100 sheep. One of them gets lost. What's he going to do? Isn't he going to leave the 99 and go after the one? And when he finds the one, isn't he going to bring back the one and tell all of his neighbors and friends that he has found his lost sheep? And isn't there going to be a celebration? And he says, that's what happens in heaven when those that wander come back to God. Think about this from a personal standpoint. I've got two kids. One of them is bright, talented, and wonderful. Then I have another one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're both bright, talented, and wonderful. If one of them gets lost, if one of them wanders off, I am going to spend the rest of my life pursuing that kid. I'm not going to get him lost. I'm not going to leave him or I'm not going to leave him lost. I'm not going to quit pursuing them. I don't go, well, one out of two ain't bad. God doesn't do that either. Like for all of us that have lost loved ones, God is in hot pursuit of that lost loved one. If you and I have wandered from the faith, he's in hot pursuit of a relationship with us. Jesus, it talks about in the text of Scripture, is the good shepherd who lays down, literally lays down his life for the sheep. That's the goodness of God. That is the gospel. God will never stop looking for those who have wandered and those who are lost. Back to Psalm 107, it says, he led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things that he has done for them. And get this part. This is the goodness of God. For he satisfies the thirsty, fills the hungry with good things. How many songs have been written about a hungry heart? How many songs have been written about a lack of satisfaction? How many songs have been written about we still, how we still can't find what we're looking for? God's goodness leads to security. It leads to that safe place, to that city, that place of refuge, to satisfaction. It leads to fulfillment. And then the goodness of God invites us in Psalm chapter 34, and this is where I want us to land, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. If you haven't tried God, try God. Accept what Jesus did on the cross. Accept that sacrifice where he died for our sin so that he could bridge the gap from our unrighteous state to God's holy state so that we could be in relationship with him. The cross is the ultimate love story. It's the ultimate picture of the goodness of God. It's the highest expression of God's love. But here's the hard truth. We can die separated from God eternally because we refuse to accept the gift of God. 
And so the opportunity is there in front of us today. It's the good news of the gospel that God would send his son so that you and I could have a relationship with him because all of us like sheep have wandered astray. And Jesus is calling some of us today. He's calling some of us that have just wandered. We've been in the faith for a long time, but we've just kind of wandered off the map. And he's calling some of us that have never been in a relationship with him that are craving something more and life has not been able to fill that void. God's goodness allows us to be forgiven of our sins. He gives us what we cannot earn. And God doesn't want any of us to perish, it says in the text of scripture, but all of us to have eternal life. It's his goodness, it says in the scripture, that leads us to repentance. So we're gonna do two things real quick. One is, there are some of us, we're church people. Like we've loved God for a long time, but we're not really as passionate as we once were. We've wandered a little bit. We've let some influences kind of come into our life. And, and we, need to, we need to come back to God. We need to rededicate what's called rededicate our life. And if that's us, we've wandered a little bit and we just wanna commit ourselves 100% totally back to God again. If that's us, would you just slip up your hand wherever you are? I wanna pray with you today. Would you just everywhere in this place, if that's you, just slip up your hands all across this auditorium. Hands are going up. Good, good. That's just, the, that's just an expression to God. It, me seeing it doesn't matter. You expressing your heart to God, that matters. You can put your hands down. And then there are those of us that may not have a relationship with God. Like we've never established a relationship with God. If that's you and you want to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as being done for you so that you could be in relationship with God, so that your sins could be forgiven. If you want to speak to God and just say, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm not a mistaker, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. If that's you, you want to establish a relationship with Christ, I'm going to start over here because I, I want to pray with you as well. If that's you, would you lift up your hand and say, hey, I want, to, I want a relationship with God today. I don't have one, I want one. Would you help me get started? Anybody over here in this section? Okay, hands going up, good. Back here, anybody in this section? Say, hey, I need, to, I need to start a relationship with God. Anybody in this section? Okay. This one right here. I need to establish a relationship with God. Good. Hands going up. This one right here. Okay. Hands going up. Good. Good. This is the most important decision of your life. This section over here. Okay. Hands going up here. Good. This section. Say, hey, I need to establish a relationship with Christ. Okay. Hands going up. Good. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, please come. Take control of my life from this day forward. Forgive me of my sins. I receive Jesus today. I receive what he did on the cross for me. And today I am a new creation in Christ because of what Jesus did for me and because God, you're on the throne of my life. From this day forward, I follow you. In Jesus' name, I receive new life. Amen. Father, I want to pray that those seeds that were planted, they would grow and take over. I want to pray the Holy Spirit's voice would be loud in their head. I want to pray that this text would speak to them. I want to pray that your word, dear Lord, would come alive in them and they would know your love from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. They would know forgiveness and acceptance and they would know purpose and meaning because they've now established a relationship with you. I pray, dear Father, for those of us that have wandered, that you would help us as we come to you again, 
and we say, Lord, help us. I pray that you would. That you'd forgive us for the things we've wandered into. You'd forgive us for just being lazy. You'd forgive us for willful sin. You'd forgive us for not living out the destiny you've called us to. And that you, dear Lord, would speak life to us. And you, dear Lord, would empower us to be who you've called us to be. Father, we receive these things as being done. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, there's a party in heaven because people came to Christ this morning. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you for listening. We understand that life is a journey and that the journey has many stages. No matter what stage you're in, TC3 is a place where you can plug in and be poured into. So if you're looking for community, we would love to connect with you. Start by hitting the subscribe button. Then click the connect link in today's episode. This is your opportunity to join in on what God is doing at TC3. We are confident that he's just getting started with us and with you. We look forward to sharing more of the path with you.